Welcome to Here's Teresa on Talk Zone with your host, Teresa E. Keeves. Teresa is here to inspire and educate you with heartwarming stories and informative conversations from a national and global perspective. Now, here's Teresa. Good morning, good morning, and good day to all of my listeners out there. This is Teresa E. Keys, host for Here's Teresa, broadcasting on the GreatTalkZone.com internet radio. And I thank you all so much for tuning into my show today. I appreciate you sharing your most precious commodity known as time to listen to my conversations with my guest, mental health therapist, Reginald C. Campbell, today. Well, here we are, listeners. <laughs> we are here on the long-awaited presidential voting day here in this country, the United States of America. We as citizens of this country are voting for the president. We're also voting for senators. We're also voting for representatives and judges and other local government um, officials, positions that are very crucial as well to our daily lives. So I know that I talked about um, um, on my last show about the importance of not only voting for the president, but also for the other positions that I just talked about. And I know that a lot of you, just like me, you know, I will be constructively, um, I will be constructively, you know, tuned in throughout the day you know, to watch and see what is going on, you know, like a lot of you, including me, you know, experiencing hope and anticipation as we consistently are watching the outcomes of this election across the board. And trust me, the whole world is watching us, too. And they are also anticipating, along with us here in the United States um, of America, what the outcome and outcomes will be regarding this election. Now, um, it is being reported, listeners, that because of the extreme high number of citizens who are voting during this, during this election, that the outcome of the president's race in particular may not be revealed until the following day or, you know, a couple of days afterwards. And uh, by the way, um, as of last night, I did not get the numbers uh, this morning, but but um, um, over 95 million, almost 96 million had already voted early as well as, you know, mailed in votes. That's that's extraordinary. And then just think, listeners, they also have the people who are standing in line that's going to be voting today. And um, so although I feel that the numbers will show who lead will be, however, this is how I feel. That overall, people want a change in this country and they want it now. That they are tired of doing what they are doing and getting what they are getting you know, a pandemic known as COVID-19, systematic racism, you know, failure of financial economy that has come and, and you know, this, you know, and it just continues to grow and it's like being ignored as millions of people, you know, are now affected and hundreds of thousands, you know, have lost their lives and the numbers are growing every day with this pandemic. And as I said before, the consistent, um, high job loss, losing their homes and being evicted out of their apartments, an ecology that is consistently depleting and adding to health problems for people in this country 
there are truths that are not being told, lies that are consistently being talked about. This present administration with who you know that has taught a division in this country so much so that the animosity, the hatred, and the systematic racism is now so thick you can cut it with a knife. The lying and deceit that continues to be talked about and the division continues to be built from this present administration in this country, it makes one ponder, can we ever really get over this? The Changing Face of America is not only the title of one of my favorite books that I read in college, but just the name itself displays the truth that is happening in this country. The Face of America is consistently changing, and there is nothing that can be done about it. The LGBTQ community is real. It frankly, as you know, has been around listeners for a long, long time. And it is my opinion that people just need to realize that people are going to love who they want to love. It is not in the best interest as human beings to try and change that. Because there are so many other important things that need to be addressed, like loving and believing in God, treating yourself with love and respect and kindness, and and then giving that to others. As I said earlier, there are over 95 million, almost 96 million early voters and um, mail-in voting that has been counted. And as I had said, that we are living in a vital and historic time. So, as you are listening to me, and you have yet to voice your opinion by voting, please vote. Please vote. It is so important, listeners. Regardless of who you are voting for, you still have time today. Okay, listeners, thank you for um Listening to that, as I have said, that we have a lot of talk that we need to get through today. And I'm going to bring on my guest, the mental health therapist, Reginald C. Campbell, so we can get started. Good morning, Reginald. Hey, good morning. And good morning to all our listeners. And remember, please, to get out and vote. It's very important. Okay. The person in a White House that was built by slaves stated recently a lot of things that make me scratch my head and shake my head in wonderment as, you know, is he really okay mentally? Like he's, you know, Reginald, he has said that he has defeated the COVID virus. I mean, really? You've got to be kidding me. And that it would just go away, you know, laughing at Joe Biden for wearing a mask. Now, uh, Don Lemon reported on 11-1-2020, Baffling Lemon Wonders was the title of it. How awful comments help you know who. Take a listen. Donald Trump's given up on the virus, but tonight he's going on the attack against those who try to save the lives of virus the virus wants to take. Our doctors get more money if somebody dies from COVID. You know that, right? I mean, our doctors are very smart people. So what they do is they say, I'm sorry, but, you know, everybody dies of COVID. This might be one of the most revealing comments the president has ever made. Okay, 
It reveals that he thinks anybody would exploit, anybody would do it. Exploit a crisis to put money in their pockets. We already know he thinks anybody who is willing to sacrifice for a higher purpose is a sucker and a loser, right? Remember, he reportedly said that about our fallen troops. Remember when he said that he didn't like war heroes like John McCain because, you know, John McCain got captured? It reveals again his stunning lack of empathy. Lack of empathy for the parents who died and for the doctors who were the only ones, the patients, I should say, excuse me, who died, and the doctors who were the only ones with them when they did because their families were not allowed to be with them. Doctors who couldn't even stay with the dying because they had to care for someone else dying in the next room or down the hall. How could the president lie about them without even caring about what they've seen and what they've been through? It's very revealing. It reveals again that the president of the United States will like about anything like anything, say anything to get reelected. How this awful comment helps him get elected is baffling to me. The President of the United States is accusing the medical profession of making up COVID deaths so they make more money. Doctors and nurses go to work every day to save lives. They do their jobs. Donald Trump should start to stop attacking them and do his job. Mm, you watching your TV? I want you to see this one. Like father, like son. The reality is this. If you look, I put it up on my Instagram a couple days ago because I went through the CDC data because I kept hearing about new infections. But I was like, well, why aren't they talking about this? Oh, oh, because the number is almost nothing because we've gotten control of this thing. We understand how, to, how it works. If you if that's if that's all you're watching, one channel, you might believe that. But I know the people who are watching here watch every night. You're not going to be surprised to hear that there is not one word of truth to any of that. The very day that Junior said that. 971 Americans died of the virus. 994 died the day before that. And he calls that almost nothing? Hmm. The White House coronavirus testing czar says this. Hospitalizations and ICU admissions don't lie. When those go up, that's, that's real, that's tangible, that's people in the hospital that need care. But the president does not care about any of that. He has no empathy for people in the hospital who are battling the virus, even though he was there himself just a few weeks ago. He thinks it's all just fun and games. When I got better, I got better quick. (laughs) He mocks one of his favorites, right, from state TV. Oops, I mean Fox News for wearing a mask at his rally. I do believe Laura Ingram is here someplace. Where is Laura? Where is she? Where is Laura? I can't recognize you. Is that a mask? No way. Are you wearing a mask? I've never seen her in a mask. Look at you. 
Oh, she's being very politically correct. Whoa. Uh oh. Whoops. Not funny, though. And a president who seemed to be missing the energy of the crowd at his socially distanced so-called peaceful protest rally in Minnesota tonight, wrapped up after speaking for only 21 minutes, but not before saying this about what he claims would happen if Joe Biden wins. There will be no school, no graduations, no weddings, no Thanksgiving, no Christmas, no Fourth of July, no Easter, no nothing. Wow. Well, does he really think that he won't, um, that we won't notice that every one of those dire predictions is taking place right now under President Donald J. Trump? This is happening under President Trump. Everything that he is calling, saying that will happen under Joe Biden. Joe Biden is not president. (laughs) Joe Biden is not in office. He's running to be president. None of this is happening on on Joe Biden's watch because Joe Biden is not president. You're the president. Everything that's happening right now, your watch, you have to own it. No school, no graduations, no weddings, no Thanksgiving, no Christmas, no Fourth of July, no Easter. Protests. All of that happening under your watch. I don't know if, if he just doesn't get it. He just doesn't care. Maybe it's both. I wanted to play that piece from Don Lemon in its entirety because I felt that it was important, particularly today as we are um, on the last day of being able to vote. And if for all of those who have yet to make their decision as to who they're voting for and why they're voting So, Reginald, my question to you is, does he get it or does he not get it? I think it's a combination of both. I think he gets it and he doesn't get it. He gets it because he's been a habitual ball-faced liar his entire life. So he gets it in that sense that by lying, because he's gotten away with being a habitual ball-faced liar his entire life and had no consequences. So he gets it. He gets it to the fact that he knows that people will listen to him. Those people will listen to him. I mean, he said he can stand on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody with no consequences. After completing his uh, niece's book, Mary Trump's book, over the weekend, uh, my eyebrows are still up in the air with some of the things that I read. So <laughs> I think he gets it. He gets it, but he's just a bit a habitual liar and he can't help himself. His son mm-hmm. can't help himself. Mm-hmm. They're just habitual, habitual liars. And I saw an interview with one doctor a couple of days ago. He was incensed by what Trump said about how they get extra money for saying mm-hmm. someone died of COVID. COVID, and to, yes. To uh, quote this doctor, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the gentleman's name. Uh, he said, hey, I'm pissed. I'm pissed because you accused me and my colleagues of doing something so heinous. We're in there saving lives, fighting for lives. And so you mm-hmm. say for $1,000, we would take some, you know, so it's just. Yeah. It's just ludicrous and it's just 
you know, unthinkable to a person who's of sound, you know, uh, mind and things, you know. So on uh, 11-2, um, Reginald, USA Today uh, reporter Ken Tucker says that hospitals are overwhelmed. They're exhausted staffs surging COVID-19 cases push nation's limit. Now, it says in part, as the United States adds a new coronavirus case every second, Hospitals from West Texas to Wisconsin are overwhelmed with a soaring number of critically ill Americans. In many cases, it's not a lack of hospital beds, therapies, or equipment that worry managers amid the surge. surge. With more than 229,000 unfortunate deaths from COVID-19 in the U.S., it is depleted and exhausted hospital staffs needed to care for those who need life-threatening treatment. More than 536,000 Americans listeners tested positive for the coronavirus over a seven-day period ending Thursday, a new one-week record. Another 46,000-plus were hospitalized as of Thursday. And perhaps more troubling, the share of positive cases is increasing in 41 states. A sign cases are on the upswing. The worsening outbreak fueled by Americans' uh, coronavirus fatigue and inconsistent mask wearing and distancing, Reginald, means hospitals need more doctors, more nurses, and more therapists to fill shifts. Not only do hospitals need extra workers to handle the surge, but they also need to replace shifts when their own staffers are sick or quarantined. So, you know, my question is, what the hell is he talking about? He doesn't know what he's talking about. And he's just saying anything so that he can get back into office. He does not care. He's extremely reckless. You understand what I'm saying, Reginald? No, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. And he's really, you know, he's, he, he's a sick individual. I mean, really, he, he, he's, he's sick. And to, uh, you know, just accuse doctors of, of, of saying someone has died of COVID so they can get more money. You know, he just lies. He just goes up there and says the first thing that comes to his mind or anything that he thinks would ramp up the crowd. You know, if he sees he has the crowd going one way and, you know, okay, I'll just throw out another lie out there, you know, to keep it going. But the mm-hmm. sad thing about it, I believe he really believes his lies. And that's what a passive mm-hmm. lie does. Mm-hmm. The moment it comes mm-hmm. out of their mouth or the moment they think about it, it's actual truth to them. Well, you know, they, they think this because dangerous. it is, it is it's, it's, yes, it's very dangerous. They think this because it has become such a big part of their life. Because, you know, this not only stems from him saying that he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and not having to uh, 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 pay any type of, um, um, you know, any type of uh, crime or anything would be uh, set upon him. But because this is stemmed from his childhood and he's never learned any better and that is just now instilled with him. His bones are hard, you know. So, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I just want people. For all of those who are saying that they are undecided voters and for all of those who are listening to the sound of my voice to just, you know, take a deep breath and to just listen and and to think. 
because four more years doesn't seem like a long time, but be it will be a very long time if you're suffering in some kind of way. Okay. And for so, anybody who, just let me say this right quick, for anybody who says that they're undecided, get the hell off of that. Come on. Really, really get the hell off of that. How can you be undecided? This isn't like going into 31 flavors ice cream and you're standing there deciding, do I get mocha, almond, chocolate, or vanilla? Come on. Stop with the, I'm undecided. Come on, really, well, stop it. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of them, they're not undecided. They just don't either want to vote or, you know, basically that's what I'm thinking, that it's just a cop-out. But if that is the case, then, you know, things that happen, then you have no reason to complain. Okay, let's move on. You know, that the person in the White House temporarily is confident that he will win the election. Uh, William Cummings and Courtney Subramanian of USA reported on 11-2-2020 that he said that I appreciate the advice after crowd chants fired Fauci. Okay, says um, to wait until after the election. So while in Opelika, Florida recently, that person in the White House told a crowd of supporters on Sunday he would fire Dr. Fauci if elected to a second term as the nation's leader on infectious diseases, continually pushes back on the president's rousy outlook of the coronavirus. Now, um, Trump made the remark during a rally, as I said, in Opelika, Florida, that capped off a marathon day in which he visited five battleground states saying the same thing over and over again. So now on 11-1-2020, before this, reporter Maeve Reston uh, did a piece titled Analysis a Once-Restained Fauci Unleashes on White House Coronavirus Approach Days Before the Election because it is being reported that he is tired of not being able to voice his opinion and says and say, you know, what it is that he wants to say. So I have a little piece I want to play from you, play for you. Take a listen to this. There's going to be a whole lot of pain in this country with regard to additional cases and hospitalizations and deaths. We are on a very difficult trajectory. We are going in the wrong direction. This is the hardest point in this pandemic right now, the next two months. We'll cross 100,000 infections at some point in the next couple of weeks, probably. We might do it this week. He's talking 100,000 new infections a day. Here's the graph. Spring surge, summer surge, now this. The country averaging well over 70,000 new cases every day right now. Record territory and climbing even higher. It's true that testing has gone up since October 1st by 14%, which is great. But new cases have gone up by over 60%. So it's not just testing. It's a lot more virus. And this virus is everywhere. We continue to see unrelenting broad community spread in the Midwest, Upper Midwest and West, says the White House Coronavirus Task Force's latest report. Kansas and South Dakota just logged record daily case counts and four days in a row. Wisconsin has broken its record for most COVID patients in the hospital, now forced to use overflow facilities. The hospitalizations have more than doubled in the last month. We've got this situation that is clearly out of control right now in the state of Wisconsin. Better news, immunity post-infection might last at least five months, according to a new study which found that 90% of the recovered maintain a stable antibody response. This is essential for effective vaccine development. 
says the author of that study. And now we're told Medicare and Medicaid will cover the cost of a vaccine if and when we get one. Meanwhile, unrelenting spread of the virus and a president still not taking it seriously. You have to eat through the mask. It's a... This is the greatest political failure since the Vietnam War, probably. And we've killed five times as many people. The vi- I mean, it's unbelievable. The virus is no longer the enemy. We are the enemy. Our friends, our neighbors, our politicians. Right now, not a single state in the nation has fewer new cases this week than last. Not even one is headed in the right direction. I mean, take Florida. About a month ago, it was doing great. The governor was saying, we expect to do a full Super Bowl in February. Not anymore. Now the NFL is looking at perhaps just 20% capacity in that stadium in Tampa and masks all around. Why am I bringing this soul home with this virus? Because I want my listeners and more than that to be safe. As we are in the fall, going into winter, and I know that a lot of you out there are longing for, and some of you are going to do, what we're calling gatherings for Thanksgiving and Christmas and other things in between. And I just want you all out there to be extremely cognizant and extremely educated on the on the, you know, what this virus is, the trajectory of what it's doing, not only to the citizens of this country, but but also to the citizens all over the world. You heard in the piece it said the greatest failure since Vietnam War. But then on the other hand, you still hear them talking about a Super Bowl. And once again, I will say that if you want to keep getting what you're getting, Keep doing what you're doing. Okay, Reginald. Mm -hmm. This is the month of November, and it is Mental Health Month. And I have often said on my show that there is a need for police officers to have a professional in mental health arena to accompany them when they are, you know, called regarding an Individuals such as the recent uh, story pertaining to Walter Wallace Jr. You're familiar with that young man, right, of color, who was killed by familiar, uh, was killed by, I'm sorry, Philadelphia police. And the story headline says that he needed mental health treatment. Now, this is being reported by NBC News uh, reporter Eric Ortiz. In short, the details are that, that the police officers arrived at Walter Wallace Jr.'s West Philadelphia row house. For a third time that day, Reginald, and his family reported that he was having another one of his episodes. Now, he was an aspiring rapper and a father of eight children, Reginald. He was only 27 years of age. The report said that he grappled with mental illness, although he could be pacified with a song he liked or just a mention of his children. That before this terrible incident, he had gone for, you know, a therapy session the previous week, you know, this is um, say his cousin, Anthony Fitzhugh, was telling the reporter. Now, the state of his mental health and how police were with his t- history has sparked questions 
about their use of lethal force in approaching him as the report stated that he had a knife. Now, the, re- the family says, Reginald, that they had called for an ambulance in hopes that he would receive, you know, medical intervention, but the police arrived first. Now, his mother asked the police um, uh, to, to stop, you know, and to not shoot her son, you know, that he has, you know, mental issues, but they, they unloaded their guns anyway. So, Reginald, with the intervention of a mental health specialist, do you foresee a different or the possibility of a different outcome regarding the aforementioned case or cases that are similar to this one? Well, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so there has to be a different approach. Um, police officers are not trained to um you know, to deal with these type of situations. And that's why it would be kind of said to have, you know, a trained mental health therapist to do these kind of things. I've had in my career, um, you know, the opportunity to uh, talk people off of a roof or to talk people out of harming themselves or, or others. And, and, and just last week, I was able to get through to a family about domestic violence. Just by talking, just, just just by talking. So when you have the attitude of, you know, the old West attitude of shoot first, ask questions later, there's always the negative outcome. Um, you know, Jimmy Dean, the, the, the former country uh, songwriter said that, I can't change the direction of the wind, but I can adjust myself to always reach my destination. And that's what we need to do with these situations, you know, with domestic, uh, with mental illness, domestic violence. You know, all of that is so intertwined. A lot of the domestic violence situations that I deal with, you know, have something to do with mental health. So when Mm -hmm. you approach everything just in one direction and you're getting the same negative outcome, outcome, there has to mm-hmm. be a change. You know, insanity is doing the same thing and thinking that it's going to be a different outcome. So, um, so it has yeah. to be well, a change. Yeah, okay, go go ahead. Yeah, there has yeah. to be a change um, because it's, it's, it's getting to the point um, as though um, in this country that they're trying to embark nullification Meaning that, you know, oh, this is another, you know, black man that has been killed and, you know, okay, well, you know, so much for that. But that's not going to happen. And um, this is what is, you know, has sparked and continues to spark the backlash um, in this country with individuals, you know, with uh, peaceful protest. And um, unfortunately, some people do riots. And I've already explained to you the difference between a peaceful protest and a riot. But this is what sparks all of this, you know, um, because in in a lot of instances, you know, negative behavior begates negative behavior. And it just seems as though um, um, this not to say for all police officers, but you get the police officers that feel that they do this and that it's okay that they that they do that they do what it is that they do and it's and it's not okay you know it should not be 
just uh, taking someone's life. Uh, the last that I heard, you know, that they're supposed to uh, protect. Uh, they no longer listen. They no longer talk um, uh, to individuals, uh, asking them what's the matter or asking someone who knows them what's the matter and what's happening. They just immediately come on the scene and do that and do this. And so the unfortunate thing is that they arrived before the ambulance, but when the ambulance did die, um, uh, ambulance did come, then they had to pick up an individual who has died, who has lost their life, unfortunately. And that to me is very sad. You know, I just think that I, you know, hopefully um, under uh, a new administration that there will be, um, you know, more laws and mandates and, and other uh, legal vehicles that will uh, change the, you know, the, the uh, direction of this. You know what I'm saying, Reginald? Well, there has to be a change. Um, things just can't keep on like this. And um, talking is such a powerful tool. Uh, talking is more powerful than any gun, than any bomb. Um, you know, so much could be changed just by uh, getting to hear someone's story, getting to know their story. Um, there's a lot of times when when I get a new case, and I've been doing this for years, even when I was doing uh, case management and therapy at Joliet Prison in Cook County Jail in Chicago, that there's times when, when I don't read the case file first, that I want get to get to know that person or that family first. I can always read the case file, and that's important you know, to get other pertinent information, um, you know, about that person, about that family. But I want to get to know them one-on-one, -on -one, just as human beings first, because that's what they are, they're people. And a lot of things, you know, I tell people and families, this is just a snapshot of your life. You know, it's not the whole thing, but you can learn so much by that snapshot of just having a conversation with that person, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, um, yeah, exactly. You know, having um, heard cases and um, also still a professional mediator finishing up my um, law degree, uh, talking is, is very essential because without talking, um, you cannot get a clear understanding um, as to what, is, you know, the issues or issues are. And you also cannot get a clear understanding of how, of, you know, of how and or what the best resolution will be, you know, so that people can can heal from this and move on, you know, with their lives, you know. So, yeah, it's a it's a sad situation. And um, um, I know that I'm more, uh, you know, I'm, uh, you know, every time I hear this, it's just like. It's so saddening and and um, to me that another person, you know, has um, gotten his life taken by a police officer. And then, you know, people are going to be thinking, OK, all police officers are this way. So, I mean, it's just it's just a bad situation all around because all police officers are not this way, you know. So but we do have police officers are this way. And this is the thing that needs why there needs to be some type of laws and mandates and rules and regulations, policy procedures, training, whatever. And, you know, to, to rectify this because this just cannot continue to um, go on. So, um, you know, my thoughts and prayers go out to um, his mom, his family and his, and his children, you know, it's a very sad situation.
Okay, Rachel, thank you uh, for those comments. Um, I want to talk about something um, um, a little bit, uh, you know, going back to the election process, which is um, my question, I should say, rather, is whatever happened to decency, which is an internal moral code, whatever happened to moral and ethical behavior, particularly in relations to the mannerisms of campaigning, and debating during an election process that is happening right now in the country. I mean, I just played a couple of uh, important pieces for um, you and my listeners that I that I felt, you know, plays into this. Um, it used to be where you uh, people were really looking forward um, to a debate um, uh, between two candidates. And, you know, for for office, you want to hear what they say. You want to check them out, look at them, check their body language, whatever. Um, but now it's, it's totally different. So um, what do you think is happening right now during this election process about the decency, the internal moral code, decorum and ethical behavior? Well, I think with um, Trump temporarily being in office, he has played to the to the ugly side of people and the ugly side of of society. He mm-hmm. has he has played down to that. He has he has scraped the bottom of the barrel uh, mm-hmm. because he feels that that's his way of getting things done, of scraping mm-hmm. the bottom of the barrel, of to bring out you know the worst in people. That's how he feels that how he can control and how he can stay in control. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people have talked about when he was running his so-called businesses that he enjoyed when people were fighting amongst each other, when there was arguments, when there was conflict, that, that he enjoyed that, that he feels that that would bring out the best in people. Well, no, it doesn't bring out the best <laughs> in people. It brings out the worst. Wow. Well. Wow. So wow. And just being a coward and allowing others to do his dirty work. And that's what he's mm-hmm. doing now, calling upon the Proud Boys and all these other people, you know, to do his to do his dirty work. Now, look, mm-hmm. this is a man who who so-called tough guy now, but he's a draft dodger. He's a coward mm-hmm. and he's a draft dodger. He's a yeah. horrible mm-hmm. so-called businessman. Mm-hmm. Five bankruptcies. All of the, uh, you know, he's he's over four hundred million dollars in debt right now. How is he More. successful? How mm-hmm. is he pro-military when you when you are a draft dodger and dodge the draft when other people like um, uh, you know our friend Willis, um, John McCain. Other people who I know, my brother who was drafted during Vietnam, you know, tough guy. Really? Really? So it's time for a change. Um, how this coronavirus was, was handled. I mean, after all, he said it was a hoax. It was a Democratic oh, hoax. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He said exist. it was a hoax. It was, yeah, it'll be gone by Easter, you know, and... um 
he even said, well, you know, made fun of it or what, you know, you you get it by breathing in. And he even did the noise with that in an, in an interview. And uh, I mean, it's it's crazy, you know, but yes, he is a draft dodger complaining of his bone spurs. You know, he's more than four hundred thirty one million in debt. He is. Um, um, it, it has been reported that it is more like uh, nine hundred nine hundred thirty one million um, in debt that that is coming to roost uh, here in a couple of years. And um, um, and I, I just feel that he because he has gotten away with so much stuff as his bones, you know, it's gotten hard that he probably thinks he'll just do bankruptcy and, you know, avoid that responsibility, too, which to me, from a common sense uh, point of view, this means an individual who's never owned up to his own responsibilities and, um, you know, which is a damn shame. So how in the heck is someone going to be? supposed to be over, um, you know, supposed to be sitting in the White House and you have just these couple of things in your closet, you know, that that in itself speaks speaks volumes, you know, um, for me, you know, it's, it's, it's terrible, I, you know, but um, I think that uh, regarding the, um, uh, the, 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 you know, the lack of in, internal moral code and decorum and ethical behavior in relation to the mannerisms of campaigning and debating during an election process that is happening right now in this country. I feel that this is something that has been ha- happening for years. It's been eroding for years. Respect of one another. Um, love for yourself, number one, because if you don't love yourself, you can't love anything or anyone else. So that that has been eroding. And I've said and I've also said before that, you know, people are totally disconnected. Just look at how they drive, look at how they act to one another, how they talk to, you know, to one another and so forth and so on. And on that that segue, I would like to talk just a little bit about the deplorable um, um, actions that these, these group of Trump supporters took regarding um, uh, Biden's bus uh, that was traveling there in Texas. I know that you guys all have heard of it. If you haven't, you're hearing of it now. And um, the thing is, is that his son, like echoing Don Lemon in the earlier piece I played, like father, like son, there's tape of him telling these followers, you know, to get out there and, and to do what they did and to have fun with it. And then the FBI says that they are um, during an investigation. Now, it just seems to me, Reginald and listeners, from a common sense point of view, that if you have factual, concrete evidence that these people are doing this to this bus to, to intentionally harm, perhaps even murder someone because of what the, the bus can do once it rolls down the hill or rolls off of, uh, of a road, what more investigation do you need? You have the tape of Junior Boy saying what he did. He was the rabble rouser of all of this. And you have another gentleman with the last name of Cisneros who uh, have had it online there about, you know, also um, heightening up this this terrible thing um, as these uh, trucks with the flags flying on the highway. I just want to know, Reginald, what more proof does the FBI need? to bring immediate justice for this. I mean, their intent was, they maybe they thought that Biden and, and Kamala Harris was on the bus. You know, what they forget is that, you know, they have secret service. 
Duh. So if you guys had been traveling upon that bus and the Secret Service was in 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 um in in um I view, um, you would have been the one rolling off the off the road, not them. Trust me. Your comments, Reginald. Well, you know, you know when they say that, um, you know, and I know the FBI has been under a lot of pressure from this so-called administration and and other Republicans and Trump himself. And 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 my heart goes out to them, to the FBI, with all of the negative things that he has said about that agency and and other intel agencies. Having said mm-hmm. that, okay, we need to do an investigation. Okay, but you have a tape here. End of our end of end of investigation. You know, when you have proof, okay, I need to investigate such and such. Okay, did you say this? Y'all said, okay, investigation is over because this is this is the proof we have. And he stands up there, he being Trump, stands up there and says, they did nothing wrong. They did nothing wrong. So again, you know, it's it's in his, unfortunately, um, you know, mental mentally ill, um, narcissistic mind that, hey, they did nothing wrong because they were doing something that he felt would benefit him. So, yeah, yeah um, you have you have evidence, you have tape there, and I'm sure they could get the driver's license from the tape that they have of these of these vehicles, you know, oh who were God, participating yeah, come in on. Yeah, you know, well, you know, Reginald, it is because of the nasty and negative things that were said about the FBI during this administration is is why I'm saying is one of the reasons why I'm saying that I feel swift justice is in order. There's no need to wait. There's absolutely no need to wait. They need to handle this and handle this now and send out a strong message that in the future, any of y'all out there want to do this, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be put out of society and perhaps for a long time. That's all That's all I'm saying. Okay, let's move on. You know, as we are nearing the close of another year, listeners, I always um, retrospect my life, often throughout the year, but in particular as the year is closing and that I am now embarking on another year, another chapter or chapters in my life. I think about what additions, changes, or deletions are needed in my life in order that I can continue on the best spiritual, mental, and physical path needed so I can continue to be all that I'm supposed to be in my life with the help of Jesus Christ. Now, my retrospect has brought me to some things that I am reviewing and seeking for more understanding, and that one of them is trust. During this year, especially with the introduction of the unfortunate of a pandemic that has not only rocked this country, but our entire world, heightened systematic racism and so many people in financial ruins, how do we trust the powers to be to do the right thing to help those in need when the last four years have proven otherwise? Now, because of that failure for you know, utilize trust in this country and the devastation that it has caused and still causing will be remembered throughout history. So my question is, have you noticed how trust has been abused and eroded 
and not properly used. Now, Pete Buttigieg has a book out that is titled Trust, America's Best Chance. And my husband just ordered it for me this morning. It'll be here tomorrow, so I can't wait to start reading it. In this book, he said he talks about trust. And Amazon.com describes it this way by saying in part, Trust is essential to the foundation of America's democracy, says P. Buttigieg, the former presidential candidate and South Bend mayor. Yet in a century warped by terrorism, financial collapse, Trumpist populism, systematic, systematic racism, and now a global pandemic, trust has been squandered, sacrificed, abused, stolen, or never properly built in the first place. And now, more than ever, Americans must work side by side to reckon with the monumental changes posed by our present moment. Buttigieg contends that our success or failure at confronting the greatest challenges of the decade, racial and economic justice, pandemic resilience, and climate action will rest on whether we can effectively cultivate, deepen, and where necessary, repair the networks of trust that are now endangered or for so many have never been exited, existed, I'm sorry, and that trust will be essential in order to face the unique challenges of the decades ahead. So now in today's society, trust has vehemently and unfortunately turned to distrust, Reginald. So futuristic, do you foresee that the citizens of this country will be able to regain trust with the government and each other as we do know that more people than not are beckoning for change, which is my belief for seeing the record number of citizens who have voted early and those who are still eager and willing to stand in in place in order that they vote for this presidential election. Your comments? Well, I think that, you know, the trust can be regained, but it has to be regained by action. Um, You know, people, I I feel that trust and hope are intertwined. Um, In order to get to have hope, you have to have, you have to trust be it in an organization, be it in a person, be it in your partner, be it, you know, children uh, 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 have hope because they trust their parents. Uh, So so this trust can be earned back, but it has to be earned by action, actions that benefit people as a whole because people want trust. They want to be able to trust their government. You want to be able to trust your car to start when you go out and get in it every morning. So, you know, it's something, and I think trust and hope are two things that have been sorely lacking these past four years um, under Mm -hmm. this so-called administration. Administration. Yeah. Now, this is what I say. You know, I've been saying this for years, that it is my hope that I can trust you. It is my hope that I can trust you to do the right thing. It is my hope that I can trust you that you'll say the right thing. So in in doing this, and someone, should someone 
negate that trust, then I know for me and for others that are listening, there's going to, you know, put a, you know, a question mark up over your head, like, well, wait a minute. Okay. That they didn't do what they said that they were going to do. So what I'm referring to is that, you know, with, with this administration and before this administration in this country, there were things that were supposed to have been done and weren't done. And so therefore this is what I'm saying that this trust issue is one that just has come about. It has, it has, um, been eroding for a while. And when this administration got in, they just totally capsized it in, in, in records in, 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 like he says, warp speed. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it, it's, it's just my hope that um, when this new administration um, gets in, when President Biden and, and, and um, Senator Kamala Harris uh, take the reins, that um, it's going to be work to be to, to be done. But however, um, uh, you know, Senator um, uh, Vice President Biden and Senator Harris know about how to regain trust, what they had to deal with in their jobs as they were helping people in this country, you know, to move forward versus a person who's never helped anyone but themselves. You understand what I'm saying? Now, see, I'm, a, you know, in, in spite of, you know, so many things that I hear and 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 it, it's, it's difficult to, you know, to to have hope and to have trust, especially, you know, in this administration and and with this coronavirus. But mm-hmm. I, I believe in what Winston Churchill said during the midst of the of the of the blitz during World War Two. In the speech, he said, I'm an optimist because it doesn't make much sense to be anything else. So with this and with um, uh, this presidential election, uh, today being voting day, uh, I'll quote Winston Churchill again, I'm an optimist because it doesn't make sense to be anything else. Oh, well, Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, when I'm saying about trust, that once a person negates the trust, does that mean that that person has diminished themselves by becoming by becoming something less than what they are, which is an optimistic individual? Because I'm totally optimistic. But what I'm saying is that the trust in this country has been um, has been, you know, flattened by optimistic people, you know, you know, if you're a pessimist, you know, then, then that's what you are. You don't have trust or anything else. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about individuals such as myself who are optimistic individuals and the trust factor in this country has depleted. And it is my hope that the trust factor can be regained and built back better, quoting Biden, um, that than before. Because we cannot continue to run like this. I mean, you know, it's 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 just not gonna. It's, it, there is just makes absolutely no sense. And for me, yes, I mean, there is only hope is all that there is, because from you know, because when you have hope, as I've said before many times on my program, all of those who listen to me know that. You know, hope is a is all that there is. Because if you don't have hope, then what do you have? You know, you have what do you have? 
Okay, so I just want to say something very, very, very quick. I got about ah, three minutes. So the White House in re-implementing the non-scalable fence that was put up during the George Floyd demonstrations around around the um, White House, he's putting it up again. Although there is no proof of threats to the White House, Reginald, pursuant to the CNN reports yesterday, for example, one thought that I had is could it be just another dog whistle by you-know-who to stir up trouble you know, that, you know, he's not going to win. So let's stir up trouble. I may be harmed and so forth and so on. Do you think this is just another uh, dog whistle very quickly, Reginald? Sure it is, because, of course, one thing he does well is play the victim role. So, again, mm-hmm. he's the victim. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's the victim. Put up the fence. They, they may hurt me, blah, blah, blah. He's, he's the victim. You know, ridiculous. He is so far from the victim, let me tell you. Okay, I have run out of time. Thank you, Reginald, for being on my show as usual. I want to say happy Thanksgiving to all of you out there. I want you to practice social distancing, wear your PPEs, wash your hands, face, your whole body, okay, because we still don't know about this virus. Think healthy thoughts, think healthy, uh, think healthy thoughts. Be kind to yourself and loving and then to others. I will see you on the radio in the month of December. Happy Thanksgiving again. Be safe. I love you all. Appreciate you all. This is Teresa E. Keeves. Make it a great day.